looking at the next section within chapter 1 which is the prayer of the Apostle Paul and he prayed this prayer for these Ephesian believers and it's a prayer which is relevant to us today and relevant to all who have come to save in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul's prayers we're going to see is basically in response to all that he has already previously said in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And if we had to have a very quick and basic um, summary of chapter 1, it could be seen as keeping the right balance of praise and prayer in our lives. Now, in our previous weeks, we've considered how the Apostle Paul was excited before the Lord. And how he wrote this long sentence describing great doctrinal truths. And as we've been considering these truths, you know, many of them, you know, are hard things to comprehend with a finite mind. They're hard truths to accept in so many ways. You know, he describes our position in Christ, our position before God. And he says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is our position. That is the reality of who we are and where we are. And he described exactly what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We considered how we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So there's been nothing which has been withheld from us as believers. God has given us everything we need. We have seen how Paul revealed how we've been chosen from the foundation of the world, adopted as sons by the Father, that we've been forgiven and redeemed through Christ Jesus. And last week we considered how we have been given this eternal inheritance. We have this future hope that one day we will be with the Godhead, we would be enjoying an eternal inheritance with God, and each section which we looked at closed with to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of his glory. And we considered as well that when we, when we think about God wanting to receive glory, what, what does that mean? And in our considerations, we, we, we explored the idea that we, don't, we can't really comprehend what glory actually means. What is glory? You know, we, we looked at Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and he changed before Peter and John's eyes. And it was like, it was the same Jesus, but it wasn't the same Jesus. He was different. He gave them a glimpse of this thing called glory. And so for us to give God glory, it's something which is rightfully his. We should be giving him glory. You know, everything we do should be to his glory, you know, and, um, and today, you know, just as Mike was uh, 
sharing. You know, I was just really blessed because, you know, Mike has just given over himself to evangelism to the praise of his glory. Not for himself, but for God's glory. And it's just exciting. And so, Paul describes these hard doctrinal truths, you know, talking about time, us living in time, eternity, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, death not being able to hold Jesus, but he rose from the grave. I mean, when you talk to people who who are non-believers, it sounds crazy. But to us who have experienced the Lord, we know that it is the power of God unto salvation. We believe these things, that they are true. And so Paul is looking at all these things and he's saying, you know, I've just revealed all these doctrinal truths. I need to stop. Because I need to pray to the Father that these doctrinal truths which I've just revealed and just shared with these believers, that the Father would solidify them. It wouldn't be just stuff we know in our heads. It would be stuff which... The Father, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will energize. That he will, he will make it real to us so that we would outwork it within our lives. You know, as believers, we can easily get into comfort zones. Where we know what we believe in, we're securing what we believe in, but the will to do, we don't do. The things we should do, we don't do. And Ephesians, the whole book, the whole epistle, the whole letter, whatever you want to call it, is geared to saying, know these things, and as you know these things and understand these things, now do it. That's what what it's trying to drive at. Don't just say you believe these things because, you know, faith without works is... And so... That's what Paul is driving at here. He stops because he knows that these truths have to be cultivated by a lifestyle of prayer. And you know, as believers, again, that is something which we don't have to pay for. We don't have to go to someone else's house to do. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to travel anywhere. We can just write where we are, pray, but it's something which oftentimes is the last thing we do. We don't pray. We don't commune with the Father. We don't say, Lord this, is, Lord, this is what's on my heart. I don't know what to do. Lord, you know, I need your direction or your guidance. We don't do that. Oftentimes in our own strength, we try to work it out. We try to hump and hype. Make it happen. And then once we've exhausted all that strength, we, lie, we sit down and we go, oh, Lord. And he says, well, you know what? That's where you should have started. That's exactly where you should have started. And, that, and this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, know all this stuff, but back it up with prayer. And the truth is, if we know this stuff, and we don't totally understand the things we think we believe, then it's going to be hard to live it and hard to outwork it, if that makes sense. You know, we can know something, 
but not understand it. And so we kind of like know it, but all right, well, well, how does that apply to my life now? What's the application? And so, you know, Paul again is saying, look, you need to know these things and find the application. Because if you don't find the application, the understanding with it, it's going to be, you're going to be, it's a losing battle. You won't be able to outwork it. And so we need to know what we believe, in whom we believe, why we believe. And so Paul is praying here that these Ephesian believers, and us also, that we will come from, from a place as we've in previous times discussed about Hebrews, that we no longer be babes that are milk, that we would mature, that we would have growth, and we would have this growth in the knowledge of Christ. And the interesting thing about the Apostle Paul, how he constructs this epistle, is that he begins this pattern in chapter 1, which he carries through the whole epistle. In chapter 1, he describes our position in Christ, and then he prays that we would understand it. In chapter 2, he continues to describe our position in Christ. And then in chapter 3, he prays that we would understand it. But not just that we would understand our position, but that we would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And then in chapter 4, he basically says, now you know your position, now you understand it, now you're cultivating with a, a lifestyle of prayer, go ahead and live it. Go ahead and outwork it within your lives. And so, we need to have this, these elements of praising God for every spiritual blessing. We need to know and praise God for our position in Christ Jesus. And we need to cultivate it with this lifestyle of prayer. So, after saying all that... Um, Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. And if you're there, please say amen. 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 Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Amen. Sorry, my throat's really dry today. Amen. The word therefore here 
as you Bible students should know, ties everything back to what is previously just said. And again, we have seen how Paul's focus in verses 3 to 14 has been on the Godhead, on the Father, the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. But now, he turns his attention to himself. And he turns his attention to his own response to what God was doing. What God was doing in their lives, and what God was doing in his own life. And likewise, this is the response that the Lord desires for us all today. That we would hear the testimony of others and be encouraged to respond. That we would hear what God the Father is saying to us personally and it would move us to act. Again, using Mike as an example, that we would hear the testimony of exactly what the Lord has been doing in that group of people's lives in terms of evangelism. And it will make us excited. It will make us think, whoa, I'm not doing anything on Friday. Why don't I go out with those guys and see what the Lord will do in my life? We should be excited by the reports we hear. It should encourage us. We shouldn't just have this blase attitude, oh, well, it's good for them, well done, fair enough. It has a bearing in us also when we hear the testimonies of, of others. And as we hear these things and we allow it to impact and affect our lives, again, just echoing what the Apostle Paul has been saying, it should be to the praise of his glory. Knowing that we're doing stuff not for our own self-worth, not for us to look good or look big and say, see how many people I spoke to this evening in Leicester Square. No, it's for his glory. It's so that he will be bigged up. It's so that people will come out of darkness and come into his glorious light. And so we take that application from this, that Paul heard a good report, and he responded to that. Now, if you can remember, as Paul wrote this letter, he was actually in prison. And in terms of a time frame, it was actually four years since he was last in Ephesus. And even though he was in prison, he was still allowed visitors. And as people would visit him from time to time, they would bring report of what was happening in the churches in Asia Minor. And regarding this particular church in Ephesus, Paul heard of two particular characteristics that defined these believers. Verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all the saints. He heard that, there was, that they had faith in the Lord. And that they had love for the saints. And basically as we look at this, this. These should be characteristics which defined all believers. That you know, we would have genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. Our faith wouldn't be wishy-washy, as we please, when we feel like it. But we know that we are, you know, committed to the Lord. Our faith should be genuine. 
It should be directed to all the saints. It shouldn't be selective in that matter. You know, because, again, as people, it's easy to love people who love us. It's easy to be nice to people who are nice to us. That's, that's, that's in the bag. But now, now go and be nice to someone who is horrible to you. How about getting out of the comfort zone in that way? And we should have, and, and let's not get it twisted. I'm not just talking about people like, who are unbelievers who are not nice to us. You know, we as a family, sometimes we're not nice to each other. We do things knowingly, unknowingly, and it's not good. And when we do things which are not nice, and we're offended, you know, the Lord has put a a structure in place that we can go to our brother, we can go to our sister, and we can try to make some type of, you you know, try to work out the whole situation. Because we shouldn't be living in that zone. We shouldn't be living there. And, you know, the Apostle Paul is saying that, you know, you have genuine love for all the saints. For the saints. We're not showing this partiality. And, you know, James even makes mention about this partiality in James 2. That we shouldn't be partial as believers. But, oftentimes we are guilty of it. And so, we need to work on that area of our lives. You know, that's another area where we allow the Holy Spirit to just convict our hearts and say, okay, Lord, give me opportunity to to outwork that now. Give me opportunity to love someone who I don't really feel like loving. But love, God's type of love is not based in the emotions. (laughs) It's based upon choice. I choose to love you. I don't really like you, but I choose to love you. Amen? Amen. I didn't get too many amens then. I'm going to give you another chance. Amen? All right. A bit better that time. I know the the Lord's doing his work. Convicting y'all. Yeah. So, we need to show love for the saints. But not just love for the saints, love to that world world who does not know the Lord. Um, so because of these good reports which, the Paul was, which Paul received, his response, as I said before, was to pray and to give thanks for their lives. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. You know, Israel, Israel's problem in the Old Testament many times was that, you know, God would, he would perform a miracle for them and they'd be like, oh, thanks a lot, you know, Where's the next miracle? He would part the Red Sea and they're talking about, oh, you know what? We haven't got anything to eat. You know, and then he sent them food, you know, and manna from heaven and everything. They said, oh, we've got no water. They were, we were ungrateful, an ungrateful nation. And that's why the New Testament always tells us that we should give thanks to the Lord for what he has done. And what he is doing and what he will do. And that's giving thanks in the good things and in the bad things. Whether on the mountaintop or whether in the valley, give thanks. And so Paul gives thanks for them because they are, they are God's people who has called by his name. 
And so he says, making mention of you in my prayers. And from verse 16 to verse 17, Paul's prayer of thanks turns into a prayer of petition. Because, as I said before, he recognized that all that he has mentioned before, all this doctrinal truth that wasn't so easy to grasp, you know, he needed the Spirit of God to just bring it home, to solidify it to these believers. So he petitions the Godhead, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays to the Father that we would get the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the agent of of us getting that is the Holy Spirit. But let us consider something here now. The word spirit here, which Paul used, the spirit of wisdom, and you can study it for yourself, you know, perhaps maybe better translated as a spirit, which would imply that he is speaking of an attitude or an influence of thinking. You know, it's an example could be when you see someone playing a sport or something and you say they're doing it in the right spirit. Or if somebody is feeling really well or not feeling so well, they're, they're in good spirit or it, they're not in good spirits. You see, it's more like an attitude. It's more like an influence, a way of thinking. Okay? And so, if we consider this word in this, in this light, it's like Paul is praying that God the Father will send the Holy Spirit to work on and energize the human spirit so that it will produce the right attitude and the right line of thinking within the believer. That's what he's trying to communicate here. Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit to influence them, not to think that way, but to think this way, so that they are in line with you and they are outworking exactly what you are depositing within their hearts. And as Paul prays this, he prays this with reference to two things. Wisdom and revelation. Wisdom being the right use of knowledge. Because the scriptures talks about different types of wisdom. It talks about the wisdom which is from above, which is pure. And it talks about the wisdom which is earthly, which is sensual and not so good. And so the Lord, you know, he's talking that this uh, that heavenly wisdom from above, that we would grasp it, that we would get the knowledge of it. And revelation being the, the right imparting or understanding of this knowledge. And it has to be based upon God's word because God doesn't do anything outside of the, the bounds of his word. So when we hear people talking about revelation knowledge and it doesn't match up with scripture, guess what? It's not revelation knowledge. It has to line up with God's word. 
And so Paul prays for wisdom and revelation. And, you know, you may be here, seated here today, and you might be thinking, well, you know, I don't really think I'm that wise, you know. I'm not really, you know, I'm not that savvy. And the Lord says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all with a little bit of a spray. Who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. How often can you ask God for his wisdom? Once a day. It's, it's, It's there. It's there to be obtained all the time. We can keep coming, keep coming. Ask him for his wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7 it says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all your getting, get understanding. So we can know stuff as I said before, but if we don't understand it, it means nothing. I've got an iPhone 4. I don't understand, I don't totally understand how it all works. But I got it. I got wisdom. Did that make sense? No. Okay, we move on. (laughs) But you see my point. We can have things, we can obtain things, but if we don't totally understand how it works, the mechanics of it, you know, we're not really getting the full grasp of what, what. what what it means to us and the benefit it has to us. And so this is where it says, you know, wisdom is a principal thing, but in all your wisdom, get understanding. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You want understanding? You need knowledge of the Holy One. That's what the Bible says. So Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would give the believer the right attitude in in applying God's wisdom, God's revelation, based upon his word. So that now they have the tools. You've got the tools and you've got the ability to outwork this stuff. And in verse 18 he says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Lovely imagery. You know, Paul uses this phrase, the, the phrase, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And what he's actually trying to communicate here is that, and he's specifically appealing to, is our minds. What is the, where is the battleground for the believer? What needs to be renewed? Our minds. He's appealing to the mind, the center of our reasoning, as opposed to our emotions. And we know that if we allow our emotions to get into, in the way, you know, it will take us down... All kinds of roads. And many of us do. We, we allow our emotions to, to come in the way of God's truth. 
We know God is saying something, but I, I feel so strongly to do that. Generally happens within relationships. The Lord, the Lord impacts your life as a, as a belief. You know, he impacts your life and you're in a relationship and he says, you know what, right now you need to make a decision in that relationship. But I love him, but I love her. I hear you, but you know what? You should love me more. Decisions, choices, we allow our emotions to just, you know, and our emotions, as we all know, <laughs> one minute I feel this way, the next minute I feel that way. May United won the premiership for the 19th time and I felt good. Next week later, Barcelona beat them up. I felt bad. But it was all good. The cream rises to the top still. I digress. But you see my point. Our emotions. One minute we're feeling one way, the next feeling we... You know, something happens, we feel good. Something doesn't happen, we don't feel good. We cannot rely upon our emotions... We have to rely upon what is established truth. We have to reason with it in our minds and make decisions based upon established truth. And then we are, you know, accountable for the decisions and the choices we make. We make informed decisions based upon the truth of his word and applying faith. So Paul prays for our minds to be enlightened by the Father. And here, again, it's beautiful because the Father here is the source of the enlightenment. The Son is the object because we need to have knowledge of Him. And the Spirit is the channel from which we get this enlightenment. So we see this lovely picture of the Godhead just, just outworking and, and fulfilling their roles in this sense. And He prays that our minds may be enlightened, that you may know. He wants you to know something. And what he wants you to know is, is, what is the hope of his calling? What is the hope of his calling for your life? Now, I can confidently say, Mike knows the hope of his calling. Mike knows that the Lord has called him to be an evangelist, and he's out there working in it. He's fulfilling that function. Do we know what our calling is? Can we confidently be here today and say, I know the Lord has saved me and he has called me to do fill in the blank. Because again, as believers, we, we get into this comfort thing where it's like, we're just happy to just come along and, and play church and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Am I lying? And when the Lord specifically says, I want you to do this, we start quaking. Oh, Lord, oh, that hurts. I don't really want to do it. And the Lord wants to rock us out of our comfort zones. He wants us to know the hope of our calling. And, you know, just an interesting thing which, which has been said. It says, knowledge is the ladder 
by which faith grows higher and the springboard for which it leaps further. To know the hope of our calling. You know, once you really grasp what the Lord has called you to do, it's like it just puts wind in your cells. You know, the Apostle Paul's like, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He knew, you know, I have to do this. He knew his calling. And the encouragement here is for us all to know our calling before the Lord. And, you know, in so many ways, this is the key verse to this chapter. After knowing all this stuff, this, these doctrinal truths, after praying that the Holy Spirit would just empower us and invigorate us to do it, you know, knowing what we should be doing, knowing how we fit into the jigsaw, how we fit into the body. And he really wants us to grasp this and understand it. To know that we would lay hold of all that Christ has laid hold of all of us for. And, you know, it is scary because we can get to a place where the Lord may tell us to do something. This is specifically what I want you to do. We may pray that and it may be not what we don't want to do. He may say to you, you know, drop everything and go and move to some remote place because I've got people I want you to minister to. He may say that. Now, that's very drastic. But the Lord wants you to know exactly why he has called you. And he wants you to Know that and trust him to be excited about it. You know, Paul's praying this and he's getting excited. I mean, he's excited about looking back and he was overwhelmed about all God has done. And now he's praying and he's, he's excited about his prayer for these people as well. And he says, Be excited about what God has given to us, what he is doing in our lives now, and what he will do in the future. As the verse goes on to say, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? You know, the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. You know, we, we, we tried to touch upon it a couple of weeks ago about our, in, our inheritance what God has prepared for those who love him, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You know, it hasn't entered into the heart of men what God has... How do you comprehend that? And the Lord wants us to be excited about it. We, don't, we can't quite comprehend it, but he wants us to be excited about it. And then in verse 19 it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? And this is a very, very interesting verse if anyone's studied it. Because 
as I said, Paul's just excited here. And he wants to get this point across. And he wants us to know what we possess in Christ. Not just doctrinally, not just what we have in the future, but what we have right now living within us, available to us. And four times he uses the word power. First he says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? And he uses the word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And it is dynamic or miraculous working power. Then he says, according to the working, which is the word energia, which means energetic or energized power. Then he says, of his mighty, which is the word iskus, which means forceful power. And then he uses yet another word for power, which is kratos, which means dominion, authority, power. Strength. So we have his dunamis, dynamic, inherent power, in the gear, energizing and operating towards us who believe, according to his iskus, mighty, forceful, endowed power, which is kratos, ultimate power, control, and authority. Do you think you need any more power? You want that again? So we have his dunamis, dynamic, inherent power, in the gear, energizing and operating towards us who believe, according to his ikus, mighty, forceful, endowed power, which is kratos, ultimate power, control, and authority. Power. So Paul is praying that they would, that they would know and we would know that we have power, 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 power. It makes sense now when when the word says that even in our weakness, he shows himself strong. It's not reliant on our strength, it's his strength. He's got power. Power to keep us. Mike, power to evangelize, power to do God's will, power even to suffer, power to serve, power to overcome, power, power, power. And this power is working from the direction of God, as it says, toward us who believe. It's, it's directional, it's coming, it's coming. Are you tapping into it? It's there. The question is, are we living defeated lives and not tapping into God's power? Or are we living overcoming lives and saying, Lord, you've given me all things which pertain to to life and godliness. All things. I have your power. Now again, I'm not talking about some Benny Hinn power. You know, 
in a simplified way, it's the power, you know, to choose not to do something. I want everything within me wants to do it. But you know what? Not my will, your will be done, Lord. Is that me doing that? That's me relying on the Holy Spirit to allow me to do that. And interestingly enough, again in this verse, the word believe is in the continuous tense. So it's really speaking that this power is available, it's constantly available to those who continue to apply faith and believe. So it's there, but if you choose not to tap into it, it doesn't mean it's not there, it's still there, but you're choosing not to tap into it. It's available to those who continue to believe. And so, you know, if we are in a place where we're not availing of God's power, then, you know, it's no wonder that we can fall into temptation and fall into sin. Because we're not relying on the source which God has given us to strengthen us and given us the ability to overcome these things. And God wants us to trust in his power. And the Apostle Paul, you know, in his excitement, you know, he, he goes on to, to give us an illustration to further show us the greatness of this power. Because he's going to qualify this power with the example and the illustration of God's mighty working of his power through the resurrection and the coronation of Christ Jesus. You know, the statistics say that 10 out of 10 people die. But Jesus, although he died and he tasted death, death could not hold him. And Paul is going to pray that these Ephesian believers will grasp hold of this power and that we would really think about it in this context as well. And he says, verse 20, which he worked, which is our word energia again, again, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And what he's trying to say to these believers is that just as God's power was able to keep Christ, to raise him from the grave, it's able to keep us through any situation we may find ourselves in. Any situation. And verse 20 is beautiful because... It fulfills Psalm 110 verse 1. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool.
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. You see, death couldn't hold him. Christ has been elevated. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And perhaps as the Apostle Paul was writing this, perhaps as the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write this, you know, he had this verse in mind. Because the next thing Paul says, he says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, which would relate totally with Psalm 110, which is, till I make your enemies your footstool. He's far above them. And Paul mentions principality and power and might and dominion because they're all titles and ranks of angelic hosts. And what he's actually saying is, it doesn't matter whether they're good angels, bad angels. Christ is far above all of them. He isn't just above, he's far above all of them. And he goes on to say, and over every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. So again, Jesus is above Every person who has ever lived past, present, or future. Whether they, whether they came upon the earth and they were the baddest of the bad, or whether they, whether they were, you know, one of the sweetest and nicest people you could ever meet. It doesn't matter. Jesus is far above any person who has ever lived. Or ever will live. He is superior. And he has a place above all things in the spiritual realm. And all things in the natural realm. His name is above every name. Philippians 2 and verse 9 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him. And given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the God we serve. That's the Lord we put our trust in. That's the Lord who Paul is saying, you Ephesians... Put your trust in him because he's a sure thing. The spirit which raised him from the grave lives within you. And just as he was able to keep him, it's able to keep you. Know who you believe in. And then in verse 20 says, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And sometimes when you're studying the scriptures, you know, there's different rules you can apply, but we have a bit of a law of repetition here, because the word all things is used twice. And for me, as he writes this, I, I just see him 
underlining and double scoring the fact that all things means all things. But there must be something which, you know, is not under his feet. There must be something. No, all things means all things. All things are under his feet. And he is the head of all things. And again, if you can try to picture this as the Ephesians were, they were the first hand hearers of this letter. You know, that would have been encouraging for them because they were part of his body, the church. And this person, Jesus, who death couldn't hold, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who gives them power, 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 he is their head. He is their God. And Paul is praying that they would take this and lay hold of it and be strengthened by it. And we are part of his body also. We are part of his church. And the Spirit of God wants us to know that we need to take hold of these truths and apply them in our lives. You know, when we truly see who Jesus really is and the position he holds and what he's able to do in our lives, like Paul, it should affect us. It should make us want to respond in some way. And if we don't respond, then maybe we haven't got that revelation yet. Maybe we need to pray for the revelation and the knowledge of him so that we get it, so we grasp it. Christ is the fullness of God who fills all in all. And as we considered last, last week, we are Christ. But Christ is ours also. There's that dual relationship thing we've got going in, which is beautiful. And the Apostle Paul just wants us to outwork these realities in our life. That we would know our position, and that as we know our position, that we would understand our position and as we understand our position, we would outwork our position and we would do this all with a lifestyle of prayer. Seeing the importance of prayer. And that's personal prayer where you just go into your own closet. One-on-one -on -one time with the Lord. That's corporate prayer where you get together with believers. And you just pray for the things which are on your heart and what's on their hearts. And you pray for the needs of the church, the local body you're a part of. Intercessionary prayer. You know, where you need to stand in the gap and intercede. Not necessarily for yourself, but on the behalf of others. There's all different types of prayers and supplications we can make. And as I said before, prayer is often... 
the first thing which just gets pushed to the side. And so I encourage us all, I encourage myself that we will cultivate a lifestyle of prayer. That we will search the scriptures to know exactly who we are in Christ, the position we hold in Christ. And as we know these things, we will outwork them within our lives as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the richness of your word. It's beautiful, Lord to see all the things which you have done for us, to see all the things which you make available to us, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to know. Help us, Lord, to tap into your glorious power so that we can live lives as overcomers, Lord Jesus. I do pray, Lord Jesus, that if we are here today and we do lack wisdom, we do lack revelation, Lord, that again, by your spirit, you would grant that to us. And that, Lord, um, we would be a people, Lord, who others will hear about and they will give you glory, Lord, because of the reports they hear about us, Lord, that, that we love you, Lord, and that we have genuine faith in you. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves again into your hands, Lord, and just pray that, that you will be glorified through our lives. We commit the rest of this afternoon into your hands, Lord. Let our conversation be rich, Lord. You know, searching your word, Lord. Being encouraged by your word. Solidifying your word in our hearts and in our minds, Lord Jesus. We, think, we thank you, Lord, because you are glorious, and we thank you, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be where I fit in, but I'm no